It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, April 15th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight, the California Report asks difficult questions about 88-year-old U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein's mental fitness, and they give us an update on state COVID-19 vaccination requirements for school children. Then we'll take a look at local news and weather. Still need to cement your Friday night plans? We've got you covered. Felton Pruitt speaks to Never Come Down. The Portland-based bluegrass band plays tonight at the Crazy Horse Saloon in downtown Nevada City. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. And we start with a difficult but important question. Does California U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein, who's 88 and a giant of American politics, still have the mental fitness to do her job? Well, according to reporting by San Francisco Chronicle Washington correspondent Tal Copin, there are many instances of the senator's memory failing. Copin's reporting is based on conversations with four U.S. senators, including three Democrats, as well as former Senate staffers and a California Democratic member of Congress. All wish to remain anonymous because of the sensitivity of the issue. Here's Copen. The overriding theme was that Senator Feinstein's short-term memory is really increasingly problematic. Two of the senators I spoke with say there are times where they get the sense that she doesn't fully place who they are. And her Senate colleagues also all expressed a degree of concern, different degrees, that It's increasingly difficult for her to be doing the job of a senator, and it's a painful subject for many of them. There is a deep, deep reverence and respect for Senator Feinstein. I think in Washington and in California, no one I spoke with took any pleasure in having these conversations. Copen says Feinstein's office declined to talk to the Chronicle, but issued a statement on her behalf saying in part that the senator is still serving and delivering for the people of California and that she'll put her record up against anyone's. Let's turn to the pandemic. A bill to tighten COVID-19 vaccination requirements for California school children has stalled in the state legislature. KQED politics reporter Guy Marsarati has more. Governor Gavin Newsom issued an executive order last year to require COVID vaccines in schools, but parents could opt their kids out for personal beliefs. Legislation from Sacramento Senator Richard Pan would have closed that exemption, like the state has done for the measles vaccine. But now Pan says until more kids have access to vaccines, quote, a statewide policy to require COVID vaccination in schools is not the immediate priority. The bill's failure to even get a vote comes with weeks after a bill to require COVID vaccines in workplaces met a similar fate. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Now that many COVID restrictions have eased in California and all of us are figuring out how to live our lives going forward, we thought we'd check in with someone we first met at the very beginning of the pandemic. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has that story. Remember early on in the pandemic when a cruise ship was redirected to the port of Oakland because of a COVID-19 outbreak on board? A bunch of passengers were eventually transferred to quarantine at Travis Air Force Base. And one of them was San Francisco resident Hinda Gilbert. It was a bridge cruise. So I'm a bridge player and I play a lot of tournaments, although I haven't in the last couple of years. 
I first spoke with Gilbert by phone a few days into her quarantine at the base southwest of Sacramento. The last place she probably could have ever expected she'd wind up when she booked her vacation. She had been hesitant before she left because there had already been a major COVID-19 outbreak on another Princess cruise ship, which stranded those passengers off the coast of Japan. I called up Princess and they were not going to give refunds at that point. So I decided that I would just go ahead with it, even though some of my friends and relatives didn't think it was a really good idea. Eventually, there would be more than 120 cases and six confirmed deaths linked to the COVID outbreak on her cruise. But Gilbert was lucky and has stayed healthy throughout the pandemic. We finally met in person recently and talked at her kitchen table in her home in San Francisco's Lower Pacific Heights. When she got home from quarantine, she was living in a completely different world, she says. And her formerly very active life had been upended. Basically, I stayed home. And I I do a lot of things like symphony, opera, ballet, plays, theater, uh, working out. I did nothing. She says she's lost weight because she just isn't eating as much as she used to. And she's lost strength because she isn't keeping the same exercise regimen she had a few years ago. Recently, she says, she went back and looked at her date books from the early 2000s. The difference between her life then and now is night and day, she says. I mean, I've traveled all over the world, not thinking twice about those trips. And so it's, it's kind of depressing to think that maybe that part of my life is over. Gilbert says, though many people may think slowing down is natural for an 84-year-old, she's not ready to shift out of the active phase of her life yet. I don't really want to keep living this closeted life in a way where I'm not doing the things I love doing. She says she's going back to Pilates and physical therapy soon to regain her strength. The other thing I've been talking about doing is writing a book. In my prior life, I started and ran a software company. And after 15 years, I sold it to a publicly traded company. And I want to really write about that adventure. Gilbert says she often didn't get credit for her work as a young female in her field. And she thinks she has some valuable lessons of resilience she could share. And I think if I can get myself focused where I feel I'm, I'm doing something not just existing, even if we go through some periods of more COVID and that I'll feel like I'm accomplishing something. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin in San Francisco's Pacific Heights. Support for the California Report comes from Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2023 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. 
And that is the California Report for Friday, April 15th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Now let's take a look at regional news. Nevada County Public Health reports nine new confirmed COVID-19 cases. 34 cases are currently active. Two people are hospitalized, both in the ICU. Four additional fatalities have been reported, bringing the death toll to 140 since the start of the pandemic. A reminder, the Nevada County Public Health Department now updates its COVID-19 dashboard only on Tuesdays and Fridays. Rise Gold CEO Ben Mossman accidentally sent an email to a Nevada County employee calling the county, quote, naive in its dealings with the Nisenon. The entire comment reads, quote, The county is so naive in trying to assist this group to gain status. Welcome to Canada, end quote. Mossman's statement referencing the Nisenon occurs in an email to county planner Matt Kelly. Mossman's comment was in response to an April 4th letter by attorney Frank Lawrence. Lawrence argues that the consultant who wrote the draft environmental impact report for the Idaho-Maryland mine failed to consult with the Nisenon. The tribe is on the state's Native American Heritage Commission's tribal consultation list. Lawrence states this makes it entitled to meaningful consultation. Shelley Covert, Nisenon spokeswoman, says, quote, what this gold company needs is a naive county, so they can sell their science in neat-looking flyers. What he's encountering is a really diverse, strange little community here that is absolutely not naive. This is a place where people take ownership, end quote. This reported by the Union of Grass Valley. Effective 8 a.m. Monday, CAL FIRE will require burn permits for residential burning within Nevada, Yuba, and Placer counties. All burn permits are issued annually and may be obtained online at burnpermit.fire.ca.gov or from your local CAL FIRE station. Permits are issued free of charge. More than 8,000 registered nurses and healthcare workers across Northern California plan to hold a one-day strike Monday, April 18th. The California Nurses Association says the protest is a reaction to Sutter Health's refusal to address proposals about safe staffing and health and safety protections. Nurses and healthcare workers at Sutter Hospitals and Medical Centers in Auburn, Roseville, and Sacramento will be among those participating in the strike. Tune in Tuesday, April 19th to hear KVMR's live broadcast of the League of Women Voters of Western Nevada County's Candidate Forum for the June 2022 primary elections. Candidates for Nevada County Supervisor District 3 and 4 will participate in this first forum from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Questions for candidates can be sent to info at lwvwnc.org. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. Get ready for a wet weekend. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, rain likely mainly after 4 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a low around 42. Saturday, rain before 11 a.m., then a chance of showers and thunderstorms between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m., with a high near 53. Sunday, sunny with a high near 63. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, increasing clouds with a chance of rain and snow after 2 a.m. with a low around 31. Southwest wind around 15 miles per hour with gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. 
Saturday, rain and snow mainly before 2 p.m. with a high near 41. Breezy with gusts as high as 35 miles per hour. Sunday, sunny with a high near 51. The National Weather Service has issued a winter weather advisory for the Truckee Tahoe area. It remains in effect from 2 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday. Expect snow accumulations between 2 to 5 inches and up to 12 inches along Highway 89 and Donner Summit. Travel could be difficult with strong winds causing extensive tree damage. Expect delays. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, rain mainly after 4 a.m. with a low around 51. Saturday, rain before 11 a.m. with a chance of showers and thunderstorms between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. Saturday will have a high near 67. Sunday, sunny with a high near 72. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. In search of some local entertainment this Friday evening, look no further. Felton Pruitt speaks to Portland-based bluegrass band Never Come Down. Listen up as the five-piece band takes turns passing the mic, touching on everything from their origin story to their songwriting process. We're talking with the band Never Come Down. They're out of Portland, Oregon, and they're coming into the Crazy Horse Saloon this Saturday evening at 9 o'clock. I think I have the entire band on the line with me right now. I know I called Brian Alley, who's the banjo player, but I think Crystal, Joe, Caden, and Ben are also hanging around. Good day, folks. Hi. Hi, good day. Hello. Morning. You guys are out on tour. Now, I have to admit that I'm not familiar with the band, so we're going to learn a lot about you guys. I find out that uh, I think you're, what, about four years old now? Yeah, that's right. We we formed around 27, like late 2017. Yeah. Uh, and what was your purpose or motive to get together and play music? That's a great question. You know what? I think uh, like the core nucleus, kind of the, the heart of the band is probably Joe. He might be most fit to answer that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to Joe. Joe, what's your last name? My last name, uh, Joe Suskind. Okay, and you're the guitarist and you sing. Yep, yep I'm a guitarist and I sing some. And uh, the band formed because we had a bluegrass night in a little club up in Portland called the Ranger Station. And my dad and I kind of started it, and we started collecting musicians that would just come and pick. And eventually, this core group sort of stuck around and got an opportunity to record some songs. And Crystal had some songs, and so we thought maybe we put a, a little record together to to try and um, promote some more music. And as soon as we recorded it, we started getting work. So we we're like, "Oh crap, we better become a band." And we got ourselves a name and just started working. Yeah, you had to learn more than twelve songs. Yeah, and and luckily between the the five of us, we had about a dozen songs, and so we it was like one of the first bands that I've ever you know we really played sets that were just our music. So, was there a, a unifying emphasis like we all love the New Grass Revival, or we all love Pearl Jam, or we all love the Beatles? Was there some unifying force that made you guys go, let's play music together, or did it just let's play music together and we'll see what happens? Well, I don't think there was a unifying inspiration. Um, I'm going to let Crystal take this one. Oh, I was just going to say, hi there, Crystal Ariza here. Thank you so much for having us. I was just going to say, I did not come from Bluegrass by any means before this band. And I was kind of invited by Joe because his dad, who's a killer steel player and was playing with us at the Ranger in the early days, invited me to come sit in on his like kids, you know, Bluegrass night. And I had no idea what Bluegrass really was. So I got educated pretty quickly 
And uh, yeah, I just would do these little kind of in between the main bluegrass sets. They'd let me play a few folky tunes and then it turned out they would just back me up and had killer backup, killer vocals. I had never experienced playing around a single mic until these guys. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't a one thing that formed us. I think we all just needed a place to be on Tuesday nights and wanted to play our instruments together and were really interested in what each other were bringing and just being real communal about it. So have you gotten the bluegrass bug in the last four years, Crystal? Um, I can't say I ever got any kind of bug because I love a lot of kind of music, but I can say that I have a deep reverence for what these people do, like what bluegrass people do, because it's I was in pop and soul and stuff before this, and I've never met a community of musicians that are so dedicated to like the craft of acoustic instruments and tone, listening, um, and honestly, just really caring about songwriting. Like that's been huge. And, you know, a lot of musical industries, it's about pageantry and like who's the cutest and whose numbers blah 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 and it's like in bluegrass they kind of couldn't care less they'd just if you can pick you can you can hang and yeah. so there's a deep respect there we're talking with the band never come down they're coming into the uh, crazy horse on saturday night well, let me talk to some of the pickers in the band now when you have a band you have to have kind of a sound what sound were you going for yes yeah, this is Caden Hurst talking here um i really think that what we're going for is like listening as hard as we could to the songs that the songwriters in the band were bringing to us and trying to like honor them first before we're thinking about any kind of genre specifically. So, you know, bluegrass kind of capital, capital B straight ahead bluegrass, I think is very, um, it's a very consistent genre. People tend to play kind of more or less, you know, there's a mandolin part in bluegrass, there's a banjo part in bluegrass. They're kind of doing more or less, one thing a lot of the time and we we absolutely draw on that and use that when it feels appropriate but when it doesn't we really don't and we're pulling in other other stuff there so i think you know really taking the tools that bluegrass gave us is absolutely what we're doing but we're really trying to respect the song and be songwriters and song makers more so than anything else it sounds like you guys do a lot of originals or mostly originals what's your makeup is it 50 50 uh, covers and originals all originals how does that mix work all originals. Wow. So if I yell out whip and post, it's not going to happen. Well, if you ask nicely, maybe. But. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk a little bit about your guys' songwriting. Sure, I'll pass that back to Joe here. Oh, all right. Songwriting, man, that's a big question. We just bring songs to each other. One of the things that's cool about this band is that we don't really have a preconceived notion of what the song is going to be. And so we don't really tell each other what to play um, and allow each person to really find their place in the tune, find the hook, find the uh, melodic line or, or find the groove um, that best suits what the song is trying to, to say. And that's become paramount. And so, you know, fitting it into a style or like, oh, we're going to make a bluegrass song or uh, this kind of song doesn't really. It's not that important. Happen. No, it's really about capturing the message. And, and you know, most of the stuff doesn't make it on the on the table. You know, I think we're lucky enough that that some of the stuff gets through the chopping block and that, you know, we're able to, to perform it in a way where we feel like we're actually doing the song justice. Well, we've talked to everybody but the bass player, Ben. Ben, do you play a doghouse bass or are you playing electric bass? What kind of bass you got? I'm playing an upright bass, run of the mill. What was your inspiration to become a bass player? I came to bass through playing cello as a in elementary school and middle school. I switched to bass in the orchestra in eighth, at the end of eighth grade. 
really because I wanted to be a jazz bass player. I, I saw the bass player in the jazz band. I said, that's really what I want to do. I did a couple weeks in the jazz band and then, um, they didn't kick me out, but they basically told me I was worthless. Uh, <laughs> so I went back to the symphony and, uh, that was my path through the bass was all classical until the end of college. I started playing bluegrass. Well, you know, the greatest bass player in bluegrass is Edgar Meyer. He's also the best bass player in classical. So keep yeah, at it. Yeah, I'll keep it up. Yeah, very good. Well, Never Come Down, that's an interesting title for a band. Who wants to jump in and tell me where that title of the band came from? This is Crystal again here. Yeah, so like many bands figure out that naming yourself really is a hard, hard project because it's like, how do you even go about doing that? So we had a running list on Brian's phone for a long time of just terrible, god-awful names that were probably not uh, allowed to say legally on the airwaves. And uh, so we settled on one one day and we all uh, met and performed in Portland. And Joe and I actually are born and raised in Portland. So we know the city fairly well. And there's this place where the 405 goes. There's a tunnel taking you west. And there's all these crazy houses up on a hill above the tunnel. They're, I mean, I can't imagine what they cost to live there. And I remember I was riding in the car with an ex-partner and we were trying to figure out our band name. And he goes, if you lived in one of those houses, what would you do? And I said, man, if I lived up there, I would just look out at the traffic and the city. And I just I just never come down. And, you know, he was the one to be like, hey, that's maybe worth looking into that. That's kind of a cool name. And so I shot the idea immediately to Joe via text. And like the next time we met up at the ranger station to play our set, he uh, said, hey, I got a song and it's called Never Come Down. <laughs> and so we kind of had a theme song even before we'd settle on a band name. And it just we kind of rolled with it like. I think that's a lot of bands probably pick something, they just roll with it. But it's really been almost like a mantra for us because we really, really enjoy performing. And it's not a drug reference, people think it is, but it's really we just are don't want to come down off the stage. We enjoy it. We're talking with the band Never Come Down. They're coming into the Crazy Horse Saloon this Saturday night at 9 o'clock, and they're going to be playing with Kyle Ledson, our local mandolin hero, too. Have you guys ever met Kyle before yet? You know... I I feel like I've been going in circles around Kyle my whole life, just growing up in Nevada County and also playing mandolin, but somehow never meeting him. So I'm really looking forward to, but uh, I haven't, and I don't, I don't think anybody else has met Kyle. So long overdue. We're looking forward to seeing your gig on Saturday night. If people want to get more information about you, tell them about your websites, Facebooks, Instagrams, and all of that. More or less everywhere on the web, we're at Never Come Down Band. So that's NeverComeDownBand.com, and it's that on all the social medias and whatnot. Well, we've been talking with Brian, Crystal, Joe, Caden, and Ben. They're the band Never Come Down. And we'll see you Saturday night at the Crazy Horse. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. That's our newscast for this Friday, April 15th. Head over to kvmr.org to catch up on anything you may have missed in tonight's newscast. KVMR gets support from Sierra Timberline since 1978, offering eco-friendly wood, gas and pellet stoves, fireplaces, also interior furnishings, along with hot tubs and outdoor patio furniture. 
Open Monday through Saturday on Idaho Maryland Road, Grass Valley, SierraTimberline.com, and SBL Entertainment, presenting contemporary jazz pianist Kakao Matsui, Thursday, April 28th, 7 p.m. at the Sophia Theater, located at 27th and Capitol, Sacramento. Tickets and information for this and other SBL shows at sblentertainment.com. Keep it tuned to your community radio station. At 6.30, it's the California Report magazine. On the West Coast, there are Chinatowns from Seattle to San Diego. But did you know that San Jose used to have a Chinatown? It's actually had five throughout its history. Tonight's episode tries to answer the question, why isn't there a Chinatown in San Jose today? Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in this evening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.